You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. All right, James, James chapter 4, where we started last week, <clears throat> covered five verses, and I'm just, I'm going to just really pick up uh, in verse five. All right, James, James chapter four, where we started last week, <clears throat> covered five verses, and I'm just, I'm going to just really pick up uh, in verse five. This we our conversation, we spent a little bit of time there in this, uh, in this verse. So James four, verse five, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. Now, um, let me ask you your question. Uh, I, I, we had a, a bit of conversation about that last week, and uh, I'm kind of curious about, about your version of the Bible uh, because... In your version, does it capitalize that S on spirit? No. Yours does? Mine doesn't. Uh, I, I kind of step back away from that. And uh, really kind of recognizing or wondering if that was really a reference to the Holy Spirit or not. But, but this natural spirit that, that lives in us, especially because of the next verse. Uh, when I started getting into verse 6, and I'm realizing when it starts with the word but, he's speaking against what something, that was, or he's, he's building on a point that he's just made. Uh, so I, I'm not I'm not going to say one way or the other, but I personally uh, I gained much more clarity about it when I realized, or at least created the possibility that says the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. If that's speaking of something that I that is speaking of the natural man, what, rather than the effect of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but let's. Let's go back to that verse. Uh, somebody having their notes. Uh, I'm, on, I'm in a different Bible. That's a quote from Isaiah. Is that correct? Does anybody have that note in their Bible? Yeah, verse 5. It says what? Yeah, he's quoting from something. And I, I thought he was quoting from Isaiah. Let me look. I can check real quick as well. It says here, the, the English version, the sense is the natural spirit that has, that has its dwelling in us, lust with literally, uh, uh, with, with envy. Uh, you lust, and because you have not what you lust after, you envy your neighbor who has. So is the spirit of envy leads us 
on to fight, which is what he was describing. But it says here that James seemed to be picking up a general theme of Scripture, not quoting from a particular one, because it references Numbers 14.29 and Proverbs 21.20, but it, doesn't, it never gives a direct reference of, what, of where he was picking up or, or, or exactly quoting a particular Scripture. So I, I will leave that with you, but it, I, will, I will just say, because what he says next in verse 6, when he says, but he giveth more grace. So more grace compared to what? Because it's a little bit problematic to me uh, to think that God, I don't know if problematic is not the right word. I, I conceptually don't see God giving us grace in measures because the, the things I have seen him do everywhere else is that he never held it back. There wasn't a limit. He, 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 didn't, he didn't dole it out. The fullness of everything that we would have as a son was given to us as a full provision. So to say that he, he gives more grace, I can clearly see that when he says he, he gives more grace Or he gives grace that is more when you consider that, that he, where he's just talking about, a, about our spirits in us lusting after the flesh and, and being envious that he's saying, but his grace is bigger than that. Yes. That's the picture I get in my head. The grace, this grace is more than what that could actually be. That when you, when you consider the envying, that when you consider the lust, when you look back at everything he said, adulterers, adulteresses, uh, at being enmity with God in verse 4, uh, being a friend of the world is in, in, and is an enemy of God. So everything he said is building up to what's happening in someone. But then he says, but. So to me, that but references back all the way across the previous Five verses, but he gives more grace. Wherefore he said, God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. Well, let's drop James back in the right time frame, recognizing what he's been dealing with in the previous three chapters is he's been dealing with the Pharisees who have said they are kind of the owners and the custodians of truth. They're the owners and custodians of, of those things religious. So again, Paul is addressing, he's saying, to those of you who have felt disqualified, for those of you who haven't been holding this rigor of the law, who have found yourselves in these positions, adulterers, adulteresses, all those things that he's been talking about here. And then he, but he says, but, but he gives more grace. He's, he's given more grace than all that stuff. Whatever's been previous to this, he's given more grace. So what does that more grace do? That more grace would say, I'm, those of you who have felt disqualified, here described as the humble. Those of you who have been disqualified, because you weren't the keepers of the law the way the way the Pharisees were. You didn't have the religious garb. You were living your lives. You were discounted. He's saying, 
you're not discounted. You're not at all disqualified. James was dealing with those who had been religious and who were holding and desperate to hold on to that. And James is addressing that and saying in, in his answer, God resists the proud. And we know who he was talking about. And so we wonder, to, even today, the, the condition of the, of the Christian church, when you realize that that's the heart that beats in it, in the, in the leadership, uh, my, and I, I'm very grateful for some who stood and said and responded and were very, were very positive, but the, but the reality is it was just heartbreaking to realize that that, uh, that, that, that exists and to not believe that women are capable of, of speaking straight from, the, from the, what the Holy Spirit tells them. And it was just, again, I, I realize in, even in modern-day terms what James is addressing is God resists the proud. Go there uh, just for a second. I think it's 1 Corinthians 14. If it's not, I'm, we're on the goose chase. Yeah, it's, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 34. <clears throat> Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And what's the next word? What? That's exactly, it's, it's unusual written in Greek because it's, it's one letter. And what we don't understand, as a matter of fact, when you go back and it says, when, in verse 34, as also saith the law, you can do a complete search of not only the Old Testament law that we have recorded here, but of the Torah and the Talmud, and it is not there. Paul is speaking tongue-in-cheek. He's making, he's ridiculing the position. Because again, if reading it, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for a woman to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? He's saying, are you the only one that the, that the word of God would come to? Are you the only one that the word of God can come from? Because if you back up over here, I think it's the chapter 10. I'm in a different Bible, so I'm lost as I can be. Uh, where it says for women to keep their heads covered. Yeah, it's in 11. 
It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Verse 5, but every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. This has something to do, and if you continue to read that in verse 10, because of the angels, that's from Genesis chapter 24. So there's an Old Testament connection about why a woman's supposed to have her head covered. But what does Paul say in that? But every woman that prays or prophesies. So in, in, verse, in chapter 11, he's actually giving women in agreement that, that they're going to pray and they're going to prophesy. And then here, to think he just turned around a couple of verses later and says, they have to be quiet. Yeah, oh, I thought you were, but this is, I mean, this is really, when he says what, if you read that in Greek, it is, it is an abrupt statement. It's saying, are you, basically saying, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's what you've been saying? Do you believe that the word of God came out from you or it came unto you only? So he's a, he, he, he is addressing, James is addressing this reality of this arrogance that has come. And it still exists. Painfully exists. And, and y'all have heard me say this before. And, and again, I, I will give you a great deal of room to disagree with me. But I cannot find in the scripture where God allows one group one demographic to be elevated over another to the other's detriment. Did he create order? Yes. Did he create leadership? Yes. But he created order and leadership so that the leadership could make sure that all were protected, all elevated, all built up, all encouraged. He never gave it so that one group could lord over another group. So when you have groups that are lording over others. And, and it's, it's, it's so absolutely true. And the one that, it just grieved me a few months ago. It's been several months ago now when, when that Me Too movement really got, was, was, was really growing in, in interest and it showed up in the Southern Baptist Convention. Because these women are saying we have been told for years to be quiet by men because if you speak, it could hurt the church. So you're supposed to take the abuse. You're supposed to take the ridicule. You're supposed to take the lessening of a position for the sake of, the, of protecting the church. And I can't, I can't find that in the scripture. I can find leadership. I'm not debating leadership. But anybody that holds that leadership position, especially being filled with the Holy Spirit, is going to make absolutely certain that no one is suffering at the hands of, of that leadership. Even when we saw it happening in the most extreme case with Jesus 
clearing the temple. You know, Brother Dale brought to our attention that when he was done, he didn't tell the, the he, he didn't let the birds loose. They were, they were there being sold for the sacrifices. Ran the cattle out, ran the sheep out, everything, everything was, was kicked out, except he didn't let the birds loose. Because even in that corrective moment, no one suffered loss. The cattle could be rounded up, the sheep could be, you know, there was, there was no loss. But if it had let the birds go, somebody would have suffered loss. He wasn't going to let them suffer loss. Not at his hands. Even in the middle of, of that righteous anger, they, they, they weren't going to be able to accuse him. Because, and, and, but to me, I'm, uh, I don't think I have stepped further away from this very restrictive God that I once was told about. I think what happens, what's happened in my life when I finally understood the heart of God there was a lot of things that very naturally changed. You can't understand the word of God if you don't understand the heart of God. That's why you have to let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Because if you don't let the Holy Spirit be your teacher, you can become very proud of what you know. He goes on in verse 7 and says, Submit yourselves therefore. Again, talking to these who had been the least, those who had been ignored. Uh, I'm sorry. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Reference to Ephesians 4.27. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. Donna was sharing with me this morning about just some difficulties she's having with finding her, her aunt a place to, to live uh, in Odessa and all the attempts and all the no's and all the heaviness and all the, just seemed like, a push everywhere with real difficulty, real problems, real challenges. And uh, she talked to Rhonda about having this put on the on the prayer chain, and and uh, she said within minutes uh, a phone call was made to her by mistake, but the by mistake let her know let her know where all, the source of all the trouble. And uh, then just this very profound word of God that he was very much in charge. And with her being told, "There's no one will take her, no one will take her, no one will take her. Uh, got a call early in the morning with someone saying, well, we're just about there, we'll, we're about ready to go, and and then, the, then a social worker from the hospital called and said, well, we've got two places that would take her. And she found out that this place that had called her was actually a third one after hearing no one will take her, no one will take her, no one will take her. So she's settled back in and, and doing well. And, but there's no way to, to hear that story that you don't realize the hand of God in it. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. They call me. Yeah. Like, normal mind be like, really, you just, uh, but our heads are, okay, we're fine, Yeah. Yeah, to, you know, I, I don't know how to change that white blood cell count when you've got a uh, appendix that you're going to have to take out. And you can't. How three days later you get to the ER ready for the surgery and like, white blood cell count's normal. And, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You can go home now. So sometimes, sometimes God just has to prove to us who he is. So, and he's, so we, uh, we live in the great mystery of it. I, what I like about this passage, I've been, I've been real stuck, as you know, uh, in, the, in the Romans 6 passage, especially in verse 4, where it says that uh, where we're taught to walk in, the, in this newness of life. And that that newness of life is really everything he bought and paid for is an exchange for something that he, that he killed. So for our fear, he gave us perfect love. For our anxiety, peace that passes understanding. For our bitterness, he gave forgiveness. So we, we can actually walk in this newness of life. And, uh, and James, a little bit before that, is writing uh, about this exchange when he says, uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So he gave purity. This is, he, he's, he's actually going back and forth talking about, about this newness of life. Again, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if, the, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? So, a man, again, he's telling us, if you're, going, if you're going to judge, you're going to walk in the brokenness of the old. It doesn't mean we're not going to have discernment. It does not mean that he's going to show us things and bring clarity and bring truth that we need to see. But, but he, he's telling us here, as plainly as he can, there's only one who's qualified to judge. This is why when, when I start in, in the deliverance ministry, the first thing I, when I start saying, look at somebody's actions and attitudes and behaviors, what's the chance that you and I, looking into somebody else's life, can make an assessment so that our reactions are right and our labels are correct? What's the chances that we will get it right? Zero. We have no capability within ourselves to make that assessment and come up with a correct answer. We couldn't even stumble into one because each of us have too much of our own history, too many of our own biases, or too, many, uh, of too many things that, we've, that we know individually. I can't look at Matthew and remove all those layers of filters and of history and all those things that would shape my opinions about anything that Matthew might do. But there is someone who lives in me that can make that assessment perfectly. And this is what James is describing when he, when he makes that statement. 
Who art thou that judges another? We can't do it. So what's, what's the best thing, that, where's the best place to just start? So I circle all that stuff and I say, within this box of actions and attitudes and behaviors, we will find no truth based on our assessment. We're going to use that stuff. It's going to become powerful clues in a, in a little bit. But to actually look at those actions, look at someone's behaviors, look at someone's attitude and say, oh, now I get it. Can't do it. Not that smart. Not that emotionally intuitive to, to bring all that stuff together. But someone is. Someone's fully, fully capable of bringing that truth out as long as we acknowledge that it's not us. Verse 13, go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go in such, into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So you, you want to know my position on why I don't like budgets? There it is. There, there it is scripturally. Go to now you that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. What's, what's James acknowledging? You can plan it. What's, the, what's your success rate in planning something when God, is, when, when God is really God? You can't do it. And, and that's, what, that's what James is acknowledging. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Because whose will do I want to carry out through the year? Not the will of the churches by the budget that they set, because that's what a budget will do. A budget will define the will of the church. And James is saying, but we don't know, we don't know that in advance. We may not see everything. We may not know everything. So, so for, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Uh, this isn't confusing. James is saying, why don't we just do the Father's will? But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You want to know how many baptisms we've done in this church in the last 12 years? Who knows? You're not going to get it from me. I don't have a clue. You know how many funerals I've done? If you do, I'd, you'll be the only one, because I don't know. Marriages, don't know. People delivered, don't know. Not going to count. Don't want to count. Don't want to know. Don't want to get close. Don't want to be able to say, because there's not a single bit of that that matters. I'm, I will not rejoice in anything other than what God has done. And I don't, I don't, I don't, want, that, I don't want that shared. I don't want to... I don't want to be able to tell somebody, well, we've, you know, we did this many baptisms you know, in, in this last 12 years. Seen this many people saved. You know, I'm not keeping that count. I think, I think James is clear, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it, therefore, to him that 
knoweth to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. He suddenly kind of abruptly introduces us to the sin of omission. After following the law for so long, the sin of omission is a pretty new concept. Because the life was about following the law, do what the law says. And now he's saying, it won't quite get you there because if you knew something that's right to do and you failed to do it, you missed the mark. This is why when, when we st- where we started earlier about God giving more grace, that's why it was so important to me over the last few weeks to understand this very expanded view of grace. And I shared with you all in length on Sunday morning, as I won't go to the same extent today, but it was, it was profound to me. And, and, y- and y'all might have already been there. Y'all might have already known very well what, what I'm talking about here, but I, j- I didn't. I'll admit it. For me, grace was, was God looking at the, at the bad things that I had done and loved me anyway to bring me to this place of freedom, to bring me to this place of salvation. Grace let me escape what, what I was due to this point of salvation. And that's absolutely true. I'm not, I won't disagree. I'm not saying that that, that that part's not true. But when I realized, when I heard that what grace really does is not only take us from that place of brokenness to freedom, but, for, but now walking in freedom, grace is the empowering of God to let us walk in who he says we already are. So it's got this second step, which is really only one step, because he set us free, not to just save us, he set us free from that brokenness by his grace so that I could actually walk in, and be the person that he said I already well, That's only one step. But, but I had stopped halfway, not, not really connecting grace to the empowering, not just the letting us, but to the empowering of us to actually walk as the person that he already says that we are. That makes sense? That, that was new for me. That was, a, that was a broader perspective, more robust but more clear picture of what, of what grace really is. Because it's like, now I, now I understand how, in another element, how grace is the empowering, not just the removing, but the actual empowering for me to walk in who God already says that I am. Not, it even helped me understand I'm not becoming something. I'm not in the process of becoming. I already am. Who I am, he's, he's established. I'm only learning to walk in this sanctification because he already says I'm a child of God. I'm learning to walk as the child of God that I already am. He says I'm already fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm, I'm now learning to walk being fearfully and wonderfully made. Those are, those are things he's already done. And, I, and the process of sanctification is me learning how to walk in it, how to step fully into it. But I'm not waiting for him to do something. That's done. He's already called me wisdom. I'm learning how to walk 
as wisdom. But that's already accomplished. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.